0: welcome to the damascus road podcast on the road to damascus paul had a radical encounter with jesus and his life was changed forever that is what we hope and pray for here now on to this week's episode i'm going to start today's talk by sharing one of the greatest decisions of my life The year, I think, was 2018, and Mr. Dave Chinacki, who you will see do communion later, (laughs) sent me a message that one of our mutual favorite comedians, Gary Goleman, was performing in Phoenix a few months out and inquired if I wanted to go. I said, yes, of course. This was not the great decision I am referring to. That would be like calling the decision to eat dinner last Saturday one of the greatest decisions of my life. If it's a no-brainer, it can't make the greatest decision list. This was an easy one, I was in, immediate yes when asked. But as time unfolded, uh, or possibly as I simply became aware of the other commitments on our family calendar, which is 100% maintained by my wife, it came to light that this was during the time when our good friends, Tim and Rachel Suddeth, would be in town from Iowa, staying at our house. Not a deal breaker. They were coming for a whole week, but it gets worse. This was also the night when we were having people over to our house to spend time with them and celebrate the birthday of their son, Ian, my one and only godson. This is when it became a decision. Do I still go to one of my favorite comedians when we also have these plans? And what is the responsibility of a godfather in this situation? Well, I have no godfather experience. My only references are Al Pacino and Marlon Brando, and they're not ideal. And frankly, this should have been a harder decision than it was. I went. I believe this conflict is why it was just Dave and I that went, while our much more considerate spouses stayed behind. Now, why do I say this was such a good decision? Well, as we have now learned uh, through this pandemic, gatherings such as this one carry risk. And while the novel coronavirus did not exist yet, the stomach flu certainly did and of the 20 people at this gathering, 13 were violently vomiting within days. Six of them were staying in my house between my family and the Suttis. You know who didn't get sick? The ones who chose to go to the comedy show. Now is avoiding sickness enough to make it one of the greatest decisions of my life? Perhaps not by itself, but it was also awesome. I love me some Gary Goleman stand-up. And recently, for no good reason, I've been trying to figure out what I like so much about it. And one of my theories is that he incorporates grammar-based comedy. That doesn't sound funny, does it? Well, let's watch a clip.
1: I envy millennials. Not just their healthier attitude towards sports, but their nine ESPNs. (laughs) You have nine ESPNs, literally my generation's version of literally. (laughs) That's my one quibble with millennials, is how you hijacked the word literally from us. Literally a rich history. Since its inception in 1525, it meant actually or unequivocally. And then around 2008, millennials said, oh no, it also means figuratively. Yes, <laughs> Yes, it will contain its own antonym And there's nothing you can do about it You're, You don't have the energy You're too exhausted And you know what? You've destroyed our future and buried us in debt It's the least you can do Is give us literally for the time remaining See how delightful that is? And he
0: has plenty of other good grammatical comedy. Also quite a bit of math-based stuff. Funnier than you would think as well. <laughs> but really what I love about this is how well-crafted the jokes are. He used antonym as a punchline, which sounds impossible. And he also slipped in both quibble and unequivocally, which seemed like well-thought-out and strong word choices to maximize the funny. And when it comes to comedy and joke writing, I think Gary Goleman is one of the best. I watch his specials, at least three of them, over and over again. It annoys my wife, Lacey. She wants to watch things we haven't seen before. <laughs> so I keep my rewatching of really good stand-up comedy, mostly confined to after she falls asleep. Now, odd things happen when you rewatch a stand-up routine, or really any show or movie, as much as I do with his comedy specials. In normal conversations with real people, I am often reminded of some of the lines and jokes. And this is usually awkward uh, because I will start smiling or laughing at something that isn't funny without context. Again, some of these are about grammar and math. And then be stuck trying to effectively communicate why something is funny when so much of the humor is tied up in word choice and timing that my choice becomes either do a full imitation or a way less funny summary. And there's another similar thing that happens when you know something this well. Recently, I heard someone else on a podcast, because I really have no friends, just apparently stand-up comedians and podcasters. Um, He was relaying one of Gary Goleman's bits, and he got it kind of wrong, but I knew. I could spot that misquote a mile away because I was so familiar with the source material. This is what happens when you spend a lot of time listening to a particular voice. You begin to really, really know it. And this is something that I want to get people started thinking about this morning. Who are the voices that you know well? Who are the voices that you're so familiar with that you can catch minor inaccuracies and misquotes? And going one step further, who are the voices that you really listen to and let impact you? We see the evidence of the voices that really influence people's lives all around us. People who are extremely formed by the media or news they consume, by people they follow on social media. Have you ever talked with someone you could pretty quickly tell which news outlets they stick to or which voices have influence over their lives? My question for us is, who are these voices in our lives? And where on the time and influence list does Jesus' voice fall when when people think about you? Now, what does this have to do with shepherds? Uh, we're in a series where we are seeking to understand Jesus better by looking at how he describes himself in the Gospels with his bold I am statements. So then what does all this talk about voices? This week, as the title in the slides say, um, we're talking about Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd, And there are really two aspects of this statement and the shepherd metaphor that we will look at this morning. But to start, let's read what Jesus actually said so we can learn directly from his voice. This is from John 10. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me, just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd." shepherding was very central to the culture at Jesus' time. Uh, For some quick evidence, uh, in the Bible David was a shepherd, Moses was a shepherd, um, Jacob and really all of his family that we read about in Genesis and Exodus were shepherds. Uh, A ton of the traditional sacrifices in the Old Testament are sheep or lambs. Uh, Really there were tons of sheep in this part of the world throughout all the time the Bible was written, and therefore there were many, many shepherds. In contrast, I know exactly zero shepherds. I've met a pig farmer, but no sheep herders. Lacey, my wife, grew up in a largely rural area. She knows many farmers, also has not met a real life shepherd. For curiosity's sake, I looked up if there are any shepherds in the United States, and after correcting Google that I did not intend to look up the number of German shepherd dogs, apparently a much more popular search, I found that in 2007, which was the most recent date I could find, there were approximately 1,500 shepherds in the United States. It's fair to say that there is a massive disconnect in understanding of what labeling someone a good shepherd means between Jesus' audience and us today. So, to help us understand what I think his audience would have instinctually known, I found a story that gets at one of these core ideas really well. This is from a book called Jesus of Palestine by Eric Bishop. The passage says, During the riots in Palestine in the middle 30s, a village near Haifa was condemned to collective punishment by having its sheep and cattle sequestrated by the government. The inhabitants, however, were permitted to redeem their possessions at a fixed price. Among them was an orphan shepherd boy whose six or eight sheep and goats were all he had in the world for life and work. Somehow he obtained the money for their redemption. He went to the big enclosure where the animals were penned, offering his money to the British sergeant in charge. The NCO told him he was welcome to the requisite number of animals, but ridiculed the idea that he could possibly pick out his little flock from among the confiscated hundreds. The little shepherd thought differently because he knew better. And giving his own call, for he had his shepherd's pipe with him, his own separated from the rest of the animals and trotted out after him. Jesus says, I know my own sheep and they know me and I have other sheep too. They will listen to my voice. What the story shows about a shepherd giving his call across a huge pen full of sheep to call out his small flock is what Jesus is talking about. Despite being separated and mixed in with all the sheep in the area, after being cared for by others for a time, and after other shepherds coming and making their calls to the group, these sheep know their shepherd's call and they come to him without hesitation. And this is the part of Jesus' statement that we're gonna spend the majority of our time on today. The Good Shepherd knows his own sheep, and they know him and listen to his voice. And what I want us to think through this morning is do you know Jesus' voice? Is he your Good Shepherd? I started by talking about how many times I've watched Gary Goldman's comedy specials such that if someone tries to quote one of them poorly, I immediately know. Or if someone tries to attribute one of his bits that I know so well to someone else, or they don't quite remember who the comedian was, I'm all over it, and I can give Gary Goleman his due. I can do the same for several other comedians, and there are certainly other forms of media or voices like this that I know really, really well. Uh, there's a Cubs blog where I feel like I can pick out the main writer's take on things without much effort. I've listened to hundreds of episodes of some podcasts such that I really know the voices of those who create them. And there are also pastors or Christian writers I have listened to so much or read to the point of really knowing their voices. Uh, I listened to John Orberg's sermons for years while he was the pastor at Menlo Park, and his is a voice that I know really well as a result. And really, these examples are just people that I don't actually know in real life. And as is always the case in these situations, what you get with published works is only a version of the person, only some aspects of their voice. With comedians, this is generally what I want, and that's same with a lot of my podcasts. With the real people in your life, it's different though. I certainly know the voice of my wife the best. Uh, We've been married a long time, and she is by far the person I spend the most time with. I know her stories before she tells them to people. I know what makes her angry. Uh, I know what she likes to do with her free time and how she'll react in most every situation. If someone came to me with a story about my wife, something that they say she did or said that wasn't true, it would be real tough to get it past me. And it's not that I know everything that she does or says, but I know her. If the story is in line with her character, I know. If it isn't, I also know because I know her so well. And there are certainly other people who fall into this same category. It's my three kids, my brother Ryan, who I have lived with or near most of my life, my younger brother Colin, my father, close friends and past roommates. These are people whose voices I know well in varying degrees. Who are the voices that you know well in your life? Whose voice have you heard so much that you know what they're going to say before they say it, or that you've heard their words so much that you know their character, their values, their goals, and their way of thinking. Try to make a list like I did. Family, friends, bloggers, news outlets, Instagram personalities, YouTubers, TikTok, whatever it is that people are called on TikTok, (laughs) podcasters, authors, musicians, poets, whose voices do you really know? All right, now that you've thought that through, where does Jesus' voice fall on your list? Do you know his voice? As we read in Jesus' words earlier, he says, I know my own sheep and they know me. They will listen to my voice. And this obviously kind of begs the question, how do you know Um, How do we know, you know, that we really know Jesus' voice? Um, A couple things real quick that get at this, and we'll come back and spend more time on this toward the end. Uh, The first one is the question of how much time have you spent listening to his voice? Uh, And to make it easier, the best place to get Jesus' voice or his words is the Bible, specifically the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know what he taught and what he did? I mentioned how there are comedy acts and shows that I watch over and over again and now know them very well as a result. The same thing is true of Jesus' voice in the Gospels. A huge part of knowing it is reading and studying his words. Another one that's an indicator. um, I mentioned with both comedians that I know well and with my wife that when you really know someone's voice you know when they're being misquoted or misrepresented. There are an awful lot of things attributed to God or to Jesus, or to being things that God or Jesus would be for or against. There are various preachers, televangelists, authors, and experts who regularly tell us what Jesus says, what Jesus thinks, or attempt to help us apply what he says to our lives. Uh, this is actually what I'm doing right now, um, ironically enough. <laughs> um, so one test of whether you know Jesus' voice is if you have heard something attributing, someone attributing a value or words or a movement to Jesus and you know that it's wrong or not really his voice. If you really know Jesus' voice, this should happen sometimes. For example, and this one is a layup, um, did you see the Missouri pastor whose sermon went very negatively viral a few weeks ago? If not, Google it, Um, it was all over at least my wife's Facebook feed, Um, or don't, I'll just summarize it. Basically what he was saying to his church is that married women need to focus on looking good, looking hot, and being a trophy wife for their husband. Otherwise, their husbands will end up looking at other women who are looking hot and will have affairs. More or less. Um, And I left out pretty much all of the most offensive stuff. And while he's doing this, he has the Bible open and is pointing at it as if saying, this is what the Bible says. Um, I'm curious what passage it was open to because that's not in there. Um, And this should strike you as something not in line with Jesus' teaching or the Bible as a whole. If you are well acquainted with what Jesus actually said or taught, you might bring up that it would make more sense to preach to the husband in this scenario. Jesus actually says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Strangely, it does not say that it's the woman's fault if her husband looks lustfully at another woman. What this preacher is doing is basically a form of victim blaming, which is very out of character for Jesus in the Bible. The idea that Jesus would pile on the person who has been wronged or mistreated versus advocating for justice on their behalf sounds wrong based on what I know about Jesus. All over the scripture we see examples of Jesus or God as a refuge for the oppressed, for the wronged and the marginalized. Um, Also, Just as another side point, if anything, the Bible advocates for modesty primarily in the letters of the New Testament, which this pretty much directly contradicts. So like I said, uh, this one was so far disconnected from what the Bible says and Jesus' actual voice that it was really pretty easy. Um, But let's look at what the overall process was in this case so we can apply it to other situations. Uh, To start out with... Um, you know, I obviously had a reaction that these words don't line up with what I believe and know about what Jesus said and what he stands for. Um, so, this could be a good or bad thing in some scenarios. After all, one of the reasons that we listen to sermons is that sometimes we learn things about Jesus that we didn't know before. So when you find yourself in that spot, uh, the next step is going to be going to the source and reading. What does the Bible actually say? What is the basis for this person's assertion or claim about Jesus? And when you're doing this, it's really looking at two things, both of which are important. The first one is what is the basis for what this person is claiming about Jesus, and is it consistent with what Jesus says himself? The second one is similar, which is what is the basis for what I currently believe about Jesus that is at odds with what is being claimed by this person? And is that consistent with what Jesus himself says? Now, in this case, um, reading the Bible and Jesus' actual words quickly tell a different tale than the Missouri pastor did. Um, And, you know, we could talk more extensively on this topic um, of trying to discern what is— you know, what is right and true when people say these things, how to recognize God's voice, whether what someone's saying is right and good. Um, but the point I want to make today, and that gets at kind of part of this, is that if you know Jesus' voice, if you're familiar with what he says, then it will certainly help in your ability to identify when someone is falsely claiming to speak or, or wrongly teaching what Jesus says or believes. And if you're thinking that you, know, you haven't run into this that much, um, we do see right in the Bible that this is something that will happen. There are a lot of passages specifically in the letters of the New Testament warning about false teachers. But to stay in line with knowing Jesus' voice, I'll share when he warned about, the, about false teachers in Matthew. He said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. False prophets and false teachers exist, and thankfully, Jesus gives us a method to recognize them by their fruit. And this points out that there are influences in our lives or shepherds that are not good and do not have our best interests in mind. Which leads to the other part of Jesus' statement that we haven't really addressed yet. We've talked about how the sheep know the shepherd's voice, but have not yet talked about what it means that Jesus is a good shepherd. To get at what this means and what Jesus was claiming when he made this statement, I want to start by going back to when this idea of a good shepherd is found elsewhere in the Bible. Now, there are several places, and really, all throughout the Old Testament, leaders of Israel are referred to as shepherds of the people. One of their greatest storied Kings David, grew up as a shepherd, Um, but the following passage from the book of Ezekiel is a very prominent shepherd, and specifically a good shepherd passage in the Old Testament, that likely would be what Jesus' audience would have thought of. And really, the relevant portion is pretty much the whole of the chapter of Ezekiel 34. I shortened it considerably, um, but would encourage you to read the rest. Here is the shortened version. It says then, this message came to me from the Lord, Son of Man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the Sovereign Lord: You abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. And though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. So I will rescue my flock and they will no longer be abused. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them and be a shepherd to them and I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be a prince among my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. All right, to kind of help with that summary, um, the version that I use, which is the New Living Translation, um, the second half of that um, is labeled the good shepherd. And what, what this chapter is doing is contrasting the bad shepherds, the leaders um, of Israel, which is what the first half of the chapter talks about, with the good shepherd, which um, from the passage sounds like it's a combination of God himself as the shepherd and then the one shepherd, the servant David. So very relevant detail to this. This um, prophecy by Ezekiel is written after David's reign, um, during the exile in Babylon. So it's not really talking about David, but rather someone like David or of David's line. Um, And and what this is, if you you read kind of the the Old Testament more holistically, um, this is a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, So when Jesus says he is the good shepherd, he is saying that he fulfills this prophecy from Ezekiel. He is saying that he is the Messiah that they have been waiting for, the savior of Israel. There is a richness to Jesus' claim that he is the good shepherd that goes well beyond just the metaphor of what it means to be a shepherd in our lives. Now, in light of this, let's reread the I am statement that we started with. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. In this passage, Jesus is saying that he is the Messiah of the prophecy that he knows his sheep and they know him. This is referring to his reception by the people of Israel. The part about the father knowing him and him knowing the father is Jesus claiming to be the son of God. And it's also him saying to the people of Israel that if they really know God, who they claim as their, as their own, Yahweh, that they will recognize Jesus as his son, that they will know him because they know the father. This was basically Jesus calling out the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law who didn't believe in Jesus and who ultimately are the ones that, um, that are trying to kill him. And as, as we approach Easter, that's kind of where this whole series and this part of the Bible is leading. He's saying to them, if you don't believe me and believe what I'm saying, it means that you don't really know my father who you claim to worship he 's telling the crowds not to listen to these powerful leaders and teachers um, because they 're wrong and that they 're frauds and We often think of Jesus as always peaceful, um, even the shepherd metaphor is very humble um, and you know that kind of makes the the lead up to Easter and and Good Friday a little confusing sometimes. Um, but when you understand what Jesus is saying to these people in power, um, we see an example of how Jesus is a good shepherd and not a hired hand. Instead of letting his sheep be misled and endangered by the Pharisees, he calls them out as false and even brings up that he has other sheep too, not of the sheepfold, which are the Gentiles, who will also come to him when they hear his voice. And it'll be one flock under Jesus, the good shepherd. He's saying that these Gentiles will take the place of the people of Israel who do not believe him and do not follow him and that being a son of Abraham will not matter in the end if you don't know the shepherd's voice. This is not Jesus taking the safe route. He is opposing the rich and powerful to protect the poor and the powerless. This is our shepherd who sacrifices his life for the sheep rather than see them led away by false teachers and bad shepherds. And I don't, I don't think things are all that different today, I mean, obviously, there are less sheep, less shepherds. No one called Pharisees, really. Um, But just like in Jesus' day, there are plenty of voices looking to influence our lives instead of Jesus' voice. We are bombarded with more media than at any time in history. Everyone can have a voice on social media. There are more TV shows, podcasts, articles from various sources than ever before. Everything is competing for our time and for our attention and for influence in our lives. And one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, is Jesus' voice being replaced, imitated, or crowded out of my life? The competition for our eyeballs and our ears is intense. There are huge corporations whose profits are tied to how much time we spend on their platforms, scrolling, watching videos, consuming content, and viewing ads. And this is a situation where, unless we are intentional with the decisions that we make with our time, unless we prioritize spending time with Jesus, we can start thinking that we just don't have any time left, um, that there's not time to, to listen to Jesus' voice. So here are a few things that I suggest to make sure we prioritize staying in touch with Jesus and knowing his voice. The first one, which I kind of got at earlier, is read the Gospels regularly. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of the New Testament. There is really no substitute for maximizing this, the best and most reliable source of Jesus' voice that we have. And we'll we'll talk about spending time with Jesus and hearing his voice in your life, which may sound more spiritual (laughs) and fun, um, but we have these accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible. We need to read them and study them, become intimately equated with Jesus' words and actions. Um, The process that we talked about for spotting false teaching becomes so much easier if you know these books well. There's a great book and teaching series called In the Dust of the Rabbi by Ray Vanderlaan that I remember hearing when I think I was in college maybe, so 20 years ago because I'm old. Um it's all about what it meant to be a disciple of a rabbi like Jesus in, in Jesus' time and what it means to really be a disciple like that now. I recommend reading that book or watching the content that's available online. And one of the portions um, of that life that he points out is that disciples of a rabbi at the time, as their base education, memorized essentially the entire Old Testament. Um, and then the analogy that he draws or that one of his teachers draws for him to being a disciple of Jesus is something like, if you're really a disciple of Jesus in this way, it means that you would be reading through the Gospels something like every week or every month. That's the sort of frequency and the immersion that you would need uh, with his words. Um And that part of being a disciple of Jesus is being so acquainted with his words and his voice that it's like having walked with him as his disciples that we read about in the Bible did. One of the ways... To do this is to look for a Bible plan that takes you through the Gospels specifically. Uh, I checked version. There are several plans that are the gospels in 30 days, which is kind of right in line with this. Um, I'm currently, as I think many of us are, on going through a Bible in a year plan. Um, I'm, I'm considering switching over to doing the gospels uh, in 30 days for a few months in a row to kind of just get, get Jesus' words and his life really entrenched uh, in my mind and, and my consciousness. All right, second one, Um, spend time with Jesus through the practices of prayer, silence, and solitude. This is spending time with Jesus specifically, talking to him through prayer and listening to his voice through silence and solitude. Going to a quiet place is really important for this one. Uh, And last week, um, Devin just mentioned setting kind of a timer to remind yourself to spend whether it's 10, 15 minutes, uh, either alone, quiet with God, reading about him, praying. um, I think this is a really good thing. Um, Like I mentioned, with all the competition for our ears, our eyes, and our attention, one of our best ways to spend time with God and to prioritize his voice in your life is to turn everything off and speak to him. Pray, talk to God, tell him about your worries and your dreams. Be with him in silence. Rest in his presence and listen for his voice in your life. For some specifics on what to do in this area, uh, as part of our last series, uh, The Ruthless and Elimination of Hurry, we put together spiritual practice videos on several of these practices. Um, these are available on Instagram. Um, if you're not on Instagram or taking a break from social media, which could be a good choice. (laughs) Um, You can get them on, we've got them on Google as well. Send an email and and ask for access to those. Um, So that's a way to get them without jumping into social media. there's also a really good resource by the church um, where the author of the book that we based that series on, A Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he's uh, named John Mark Comer, his, uh, his church puts together a website called practicingtheway.org, which is a really good resource. Um, just if, if you go to that, since I've done it, <laughs> um, it it's kind of designed for like a group of people to learn these practices together. Um, so if you have a group, great. It, it works really well for that. If you want to just like, right now I want to do some of this stuff, just scroll down. <laughs> there's some, some links to like here's what to actually do for 20 minutes so, so that's probably more what you're looking for if you're jumping in there um, and then further just to encourage people I also want to um, let you know that you don't need to feel like you're that you're doing these things exactly perfectly by far the main thing is to do them and um, Obviously, the the practices of prayer, silence, and solitude are way older than the website I just gave you or the the videos that we've made. Um, By far, the most important thing is to do them. Block off 10, 15 minutes to start and spend time praying and being with Jesus. It's okay if you don't know what you're doing. Um, Really, you just need to start by doing it. Jesus... I mean, you can talk to Jesus as you would another person, either out loud, you can talk to him kind of in your head. That's a good start. Jesus wants you so much more than he wants perfect practice out of you. And the last thing that I wanna, want us to consider again is what other voices do we let speak into our lives and are we keeping their influence at an appropriate level? One point that I didn't really touch on much is that an entertainment-based voice like Gary Goleman isn't really meant to shape my life. I highly value his comedy, his ability to craft a joke, and his latest special has some really good uh, perspective on depression, which isn't usually what you expect in a comedy special. Um, But I'm not really looking to him for how to live my life, Um, whereas with Jesus, I really am. The last thing that I want us to consider is what other voices do we let form us in this more fundamental way? Some of them make sense. I mentioned that I listened to John Ortberg's sermons for years, now I listen to John Mark Comer and Erwin McManus, and the whole purpose of doing this is to get their perspective and teaching about God. It's essentially an extension of trying to know Jesus' voice. This is good and important, it helps us grow in our faith, but we do need to understand the difference between these voices and Jesus' actual voice. If I find an apparent conflict, or more likely a difference in emphasis, Jesus' voice wins out. I think the next level after something like a pastor are people like our parents or a mentor, our friends, people who we look up to and value their opinions highly. They certainly influence you, and this is fine and good. Um, Again, though, if there is an inconsistency with Jesus' voice, Jesus should win out. And there are a lot of areas where having these types of human role models and influences is really useful, especially in areas of modern practicality that Jesus doesn't really specifically address. And I can keep going on this point, but suffice it to say um, that the things we spend our time listening to, paying attention to, uh, that we spend our time on, all of these things influence us. Our first plan to address this is to become more acquainted with Jesus' voice but we may also need to understand our other influences and cut out things that pull us away from him. Because Jesus is meant to be our shepherd. His voice is the one that we should know and follow before others. Now, to close today, uh, I want to read another famous passage about God as a shepherd and what it is like uh, when you let him be the main voice in your life. This is... um, this is a vision of a life spent with God as our focus, as our leader, and as our shepherd. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you. Um, I thank you that you are a shepherd, Lord. I thank you that we can know your voice, that we have um, accounts, that we have your words in the Bible, Lord. I thank you that if we seek you, we will find you. I thank you that you want to be known by us, God. We love you, Lord. pray these things in your holy name. Amen. for joining the damascus road podcast our mission is to follow jesus together by being with god loving everyone transforming people developing leaders growing new ministries and changing the world you can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com